0: Thanks for that, um, encouragement, Scott, but I just want to speak to that for a second. Like, I'm, I'm just a man, obviously, but I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. Who remembers, um, before the internet? Yeah, yeah. You remember we used to have stories that go around like, you know, Coca Cola, you know, you could put a steak in it and, you know, do all of that stuff. And then the Mythbusters came out and they worked out, oh well, it's not quite true and things like that. Now we got the internet, we've got a lot more access to information, you know, books and things. And purely I love reading. I, I'm loving finding out, digging into those scriptures and just saying, hang on, you know, I've been told this for and we've believed this for so long. Is that really true? Let me let me go back. Let me go back right to, you know, Asubius and people like that who you know, we're living around 300 and before. And what did they think about that? So, my pursuit is not my own personal pursuit. I don't want you to think that. It's pursuit of the truth. And I'm happy to be wrong. You know, there's no qualms. And I actually think this generation that's coming up, um, is going to be benefiting from a lot of that. They're, they're not going to take half answers. You know, they're going to, they're going to call you. They're going to say, that's not true, you can't, you can't get rid of a steak with a Coke or whatever. That's right, you've got to find out, you find out what's true and what's not. Okay, so just give me a minute while I get this set up. We can um, probably jump to that second slide, Scott. All right. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Whom the son sets free is free indeed. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You, my brothers and sisters... We're called to be free. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into his presence. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirement of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. For why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. You know, wouldn't it be great if we had a relationship with God that looked like this? I mean, all these scriptures paint an amazing picture of how much the Father has journeyed with us, how much he's gone through in order to restore relationship with us. We are his children. We have received his freedom, his love and his grace. Wouldn't it be good if we could live without any fear and we live like that God's love is so big and so powerful that it could overcome all our fears. Wouldn't it be good if we could be like the little children who know their place in the Father's house? They are secure in knowing they are loved and they can run straight from the muddy backyard into the Father's presence. Wouldn't it be great if all our grievances that we had with one another you know, could be dealt with? And we could truly live in a place where we could give and receive forgiveness without holding grudges or being spiteful to our brothers and sisters. Wouldn't it be great if not only we not only loved our brothers and sisters, but our enemies with so much love that it would embarrass them into a place of experiencing God's love? Wouldn't it be great if I could let go of the sin I committed a few minutes ago? apologize to my neighbor for the argument we had, and live in the knowledge that I am completely free from sin. Wouldn't it be good if the blood of Jesus could accomplish all this? I mean, all these things, if they were really true, wouldn't that be the kind of God that you'd want to get to know? I mean... You know, wouldn't that be a kind of God you could have an amazing relationship with? Wouldn't that be something you could get behind? Wouldn't that be a good reason to pursue him? And I mean, if only, if only the blood of Jesus was big enough to accomplish all that. Now, you see, I get a feeling we believe that it is, but only to a point. Hence my sarcastic tone, if you didn't pick up on that, okay? Of course, of course the blood of Jesus is big enough. But what stops us from living in that place? What stops our pursuit? What stops us experiencing the freedom, the life, the abundant life that Christ has won for us? You see, when I read those scriptures, this is who I see God is. And if all these things are true, why am I not living in this absolute, complete freedom? Why am I not experiencing this? The scriptures say this is our reality. But why do I not feel it's my reality? I don't feel like I'm living completely under this complete freedom picture. Now, we're all on different journeys, and possibly some of you are further ahead and living this abundant life. But frankly, I think as Christians, we can sell ourselves ourselves short of this abundant life. Have you ever taken a kid to a toy store? You know, that look in their eye, their expectation. Just imagine for a minute that God takes you to a toy store, and he says, go for it. And you're standing there and you got like, well, I got seven bucks in my pocket. And you go in, start looking around. Oh, look at that one on the top shelf. Wouldn't that be good? And you come out, you know, and you got a slinky and a pack of cards. You only had seven bucks in your pocket. Okay, but didn't you get the full message? Go for it, he said. You got free reign of the toy store. And you didn't quite get the full impact of the message. You were still looking at yourself and the seven bucks you had in your pocket. Okay? Get the analogy? Yes? No? You could listen to it later then. It's just an analogy. But I hope that gives you a picture of what I want to talk about today. And I think we, wherever we are in our journey, there's always more. And possibly we're selling ourselves short. And we, we look at what we've got rather than what God has given us. God has given us much, much more than we've ever experienced or even realised. Okay? And we're only experiencing, I think, half the picture or $7 of the picture. Now, I think part of the issue is that we've watered down the picture of God's love to forgiveness. And forgiveness is great, but we're stuck with a limited picture. Now, let me explain. We live in this place where we're like, uh, God has forgiven me because it's God's job to forgive sin. Okay? So when I sin, then it's God's job he forgives me. I'm restored. And that seems to be the end of our story. I sin, God forgives me. I sin again, God forgives me again. And for some of us, that's the whole story. That's the end game from us. I sin, he forgives. Isn't that the big picture? Isn't that all I need? Isn't that as good as it needs to be? And we get stuck in this place of understanding that God forgives our sin and that's it. That's all we need. And we don't take it any further. We don't step into the fullness of life. The freedom of the cross and the resurrection has made a way. You know, you know, Scott said before, it's changed everything. It's changed everything. And I think it's because we feel so bad that God has to forgive me again. And we get stuck in this kind of wrestling match. How can I live the abundant life when I'm still stuck in phase one? And it's like this picture of Mr T. Okay, Mr T is Jesus. He wrestles sin to the ground and then he forgives me. Now we always can count on Mr T, or Jesus, to win. Okay, because Jesus will always win. Forgiveness is always so much bigger than sin. But is this our limit to our walk with God? Is the freedom, abundant life that I spoke about in those scriptures earlier, reduced to a wrestling match of us with sin? I don't believe so. And you know, we have that choice to remain in that place of this wrestling match, sin, forgiveness, sin. And God is okay with that. You know, but I believe, you know, Christ came to give us life abundant. And to me, that sounds so much more than just living in a wrestling match. So, how do we get beyond this and live the life? I think one of the things when I've been studying, we've taken this idea of this wrestling match and we've said, this is our reality and this is my experience And hence we've turned it into a theology that has kept us stuck in that place. You see, one of the traditional thoughts is that our spirit has been saved, but our soul and our body are entrenched in sin, or it's our sin nature. And somehow we have to fight this internal struggle for the rest of our earthly lives. We're locked into this conflict between our soul and spirit, until we die. But to me, this is part of the problem because it leaves us in this wrestling match of sin, forgiveness, sin, forgiveness. Because we think that sin is part of our nature. We think it's part of who we are. And we think we are separate parts where our spirit, I don't know where it is, but our spirit and our soul are at war with each other. So this is what I want to look at today. Now, to break this down and understand it before we build up a new model, we need to talk about the Antichrist. You weren't expecting that, were you? Trust me, it's going to make sense. Okay, next slide. So 2 John 1 says... Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh. That's the key. This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. 1 John 4, this is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit who confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit who does not confess that Jesus is from God, that's the Antichrist. So at the time when John wrote this, okay, there was this idea that God was way up in heaven and God is spirit, and everything of the spirit is good and pure. And everything that is separate from God is natural, therefore it's not pure, therefore it's natural and inherently evil. So the thinking was, simply put, spirit is good, natural is bad. Now Kirk touched on this a little bit about the concept of dualism, okay? And simply put, this was the the Greek philosophy of the day. They would say, if God exists, then He would be far away. He would be holy. He would be separate from us. So everything of the spirit was considered good, pure, and holy, and everything that was earthbound, natural, or made from flesh was not. Good or was considered evil. So, what John is addressing, he says, they do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. What he's talking about is this dualistic, Gnostic thinking. If Jesus was from God, then they were thinking, if he's good, he could only come to earth as a spirit or as a spirit being, because the spirit is God. And the flesh is natural. Okay. Which they considered bad. So John is addressing this idea of Gnosticism and Greek thinking that said Jesus was just a ghost. Jesus was just a spirit when he walked the earth. Okay. Because in their thinking, flesh could not be good. And this idea, spirit good, flesh bad, was applied to Jesus. And John saying, no, that's wrong. Paul actually goes on to say in Romans 8 that Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh just to ram home that point that John was making. So... What does this have to do with our nature or our being? We have suddenly, subtly taken this Gnostic idea and applied it to our being. Just like the picture of the wrestling match. Somehow our spirits are good and we are fighting an internal war with our soul and our body of flesh. We have applied this dualistic Gnostic thinking to what's going on inside of our bodies we've also applied it to what's happening at salvation. Now let's think this through. For example, Jesus meets you walking down the street okay, and he says, follow me. And you say, sure. And he says, I'm going to put my Holy Spirit in one third of you. And now you have to fight it out for the rest of your life and when you die, I'll give you the rest. If that's our picture then Jesus has just made us into a divided kingdom, okay? And he came to set us free, and that's not a picture of freedom. And we end up with a picture that may explain our experience, but I think it's a subtle distortion of the truth. So I think this comes from a misreading uh, of Hebrews 4, and it will become a lot clearer soon. So Hebrews 4, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart Uh, or our emotions is another translation for attitudes of the heart. So reading this verse, you want to start the, the next part. We have traditionally dropped the sword like this, up and down. Okay? We'll see it soon. This is my... um, I I did this at Encounter a few weeks ago, and I drew a sword, and it ended up looking like an umbrella. So I I hired my 13-year-old son, Eli, to do some drawing for me. Okay? So traditionally, we've dropped the sword, and divided good from bad, spirit from soul. Okay. So if we look at the scripture again and continue the thought on, if assuming this thought is true. So look at Hebrews 4. Just bring up the Hebrews 4 again for a sec. So dividing soul and spirit, soul bad, spirit good. It then says joints and marrow. So following the logic through joints bad, marrow good. It then judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Thoughts are bad and our attitudes or our emotions are good. So using this flow of logic and reading this verse puts our spirit... The next two slides. Next one and the next one. So on the good side, Hebrews 4 goes... Spirit good, soul bad, marrow good, joints bad, attitudes of the heart good and thoughts bad. Okay. Now, hopefully, this is already starting to ring some alarm bells. Okay? Hence the question marks that are about to appear. It's not quite adding up. Okay? For joints and marrow have just been divided up. And they're both parts of your flesh or your body. Thoughts and emotions have been divided up, which are both parts of your soul. And I hope you know through your own experience that you can have good emotions and bad emotions. You can have good thoughts and bad thoughts. Let's go a little deeper. So if your body is then evil, why does the Bible say that your body... Not your spirit is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Why would God's pure Holy Spirit dwell in your evil fleshly body? And if our bodies and souls are wicked and corrupt and God is pure, then our love must only come from our spirit. But he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And when we worship, I urge you, brothers and sisters, Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. What about the other side of the picture? What about the spirit? 2 Corinthians 7 says, Let us, therefore, since we have these promises, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of the reverence for God. Your spirit can be contaminated. It says very clearly here that your spirit can be contaminated just like your body can. So the logic is falling apart. I know I've sort of dwelt on the issue, but let's build up the picture now. So we've dropped the sword this way. So let's take the sword and turn it ninety degrees. And we'll end up I'm in a picture like this in a minute. Where the sword separates spirit from spirit, soul from soul, body from body. Okay, because the sword we've turned the sword ninety degrees. Okay, Now, I'm going to start using some terms above the sword and below the sword. So what I mean is above the sword will be good stuff and below the sword will be bad stuff and we'll explain it. So looking at the body in this picture, an example of living above the sword would be healthy eating, exercise and stuff that benefits the body. Okay. Example of living below the sword would be eating ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know, no exercise, overeating, abusing, abusing the body. So the picture here is that you want to live above the sword because it's where the good, healthy stuff is. Below the sword is the less desirable stuff. We'll talk about that later. First Corinthians six. Our bodies are made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised the Lord from the dead. Do you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? So your body is important to the Lord. One day you'll be resurrected and your body will be restored. But until then, he cares about your body here and now. Let's look at the soul. Examples of living... Um, Above the sword, with the soul, healthy emotions, healthy thoughts. Did you know that not all your thoughts are bad? This can even apply to your imagination. Think about that. Have you ever been told maybe that your imagination is bad? Creative, creative thoughts come from your imagination. God gives those. Reading scripture, praying are all examples of living above the sword. Below the sword, emotions that would lead to bad stuff, you know, depression, anxiety, worry. First Peter, one. Purify your souls by obedience to the truth so that you have genuine love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from a pure heart. Purify your soul. Let's look at the spirit. Above the sword, an example would be uh, speaking in tongues. Scripture says in Corinthians, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. So speaking in tongues edifies your spirit. Do you think God wants you to edify your spirit? Yes, he does. Okay? First Thessalonians 5. May your spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless Psalm 51 Create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit within me So stuff below the sword for the spirit idols, worshipping idols in your life the extreme side would be like demonic stuff, you know Uh, going to a seance, mixing your spirits with other stuff So We have this sword running through all three parts of us. You have an above the sword and you have a below the sword. Above the sword, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your soul, mind and strength, you love the Lord your God with your soul. And your spirit is one with the Holy Spirit above the sword. Now these three parts of you above the sword can impact one another. 2 John says that I pray that your health prospers, your body prospers, as your soul prospers. Okay? So your soul is healthy. It has an impact on the health of your body. I I don't have all the words to express it, but somehow it's interconnected, and it can benefit your whole being. When you live above the sword in one area, it will impact your whole being. So my friend Trent might be out there running, running. And he's living above the sword for his body. And then he puts his Walkman on because he's an 80s guy. Or Spotify, whatever. And now he's living above the sword in his soul. But he's doing both, his body and soul at the same time. And then he starts singing in the spirit. Okay, so he's living above the sword on all areas and things like that. Likewise, if you are angry and bitter and have unforgiveness in your soul, then it can manifest in your body. We are a three-part being and God is interested in every part of you. Your spirit, your soul, your body is all important to God. So hopefully you see we're starting to move away from this internal conflict picture because God is interested in our whole being. Now, I think part of the problem is the language in Scripture can be a little bit confusing. And trust me, I haven't worked it all out yet. You see, they use the word flesh. And John used the word flesh, saying Jesus' flesh is good. Um, but elsewhere, it uses the same word flesh to describe stuff below the sword. So just a warning, if you dig into this stuff, you've got to read the context, okay? But to keep it simple, uh, I want to give you some words. I want to say in slide 18, above the sword is being led by the Holy Spirit, okay? Below the sword is the deeds or the actions of the flesh, in other words, it's not the, the flesh itself that's inherently evil, but the actions or the outworkings. Okay. So just be careful and you can look up, um, Blue Letter Bible and they've actually got it all listed, uh, under Bible Hub, which are good and bad. And, um, it's fun to check that out. Now, the other thing I want to say is the sword is not a static sword. Okay. Now, you remember in Hebrews 4, it talked about joints and marrow. The picture is more like there's like little swords in every single part of you, okay? There's thought, swords in your emotions. You can have good emotions, bad emotions, um, good thoughts, bad thoughts, things like that. So this is just a simplified picture to help to help us. So God might and He might be working in different parts of your body. So the swords are all over the place. You know that's sort of the idea. It's just stay away that it's like one big static sword, okay? Now, let me talk a little bit about below the sword. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, the new things have have come. Uh, All things have become new. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh... So that's a good flesh. I live by the faith in the son of God. Okay. So your old nature is crucified. It's long gone. It's dead. If you need to catch up on that understanding, okay, get a hold of Putty Putman's. Uh, He taught about that here uh, a few weeks ago. You are not meant to be living below the sword. Because this is not something that you are. You are not below the sword. This is not part of your nature. To put it, these are things that your old nature used to do. These are things that are left over when you died with Christ. These are the deeds or the actions of the flesh. You see, before in the, in the spirit, versus soul picture, we believe that the soul was bad and it was actually a part of your nature or who you are and we had to fight it. This is not the case in this picture. Below the sword is not who you are. Your nature now is Christ-like to live above the sword. Because we are being led to live by the spirit. The sword is pushing down. It's pushing down, okay? The actions, the deeds of the flesh are not who you are anymore. It's not part of your true nature anymore. Part of the process of walking into freedom is this understanding this understanding that it is not your nature is the truth, but it's a big step for us to living to stepping into the abundant life. And because the enemy will want to convince you that it's still part of who you are. You may still sin, but it's not part of your new nature. Now, yeah. remember in the garden... Eve got tricked into thinking that she wasn't like God. Remember that? She got tricked into thinking she was not like God. It's the same deal here. The lie is that you think sin is still part of your nature. That's the lie. And when you realise that it's not part of who you are, you can step out of sin a lot easier and you can live above the sword and the desires of the flesh will dissipate. I sin, oh oh wait, I just believe the lie that it's part of who I am. I realise the truth again that it's not actually a part of who I am. I get forgiven and then I start to continue living above the sword in my abundant life if I keep believing that, oh, I can't get over that sin, it's still just ingrained, it's part of my nature, I can very easily get stuck living under the sword. The reality, I am a child of God. I have access to the top shelf toys in the toy store. I can live my life above the sword And God is working in me, Philippians 2, helping me to put away the deeds of the flesh. Because I'm just beginning to understand who I am in Christ. And that the blood of Jesus was big enough to change me and I can start to step into the depths of what Christ has won for me. Galatians 5 says... I walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh or the deeds of the flesh. And their flesh is used in a negative way. So I'll end here today. But I hope this picture, you know, might help. It's a different picture. um, And I hope it gets us out of, you know, this wrestle picture. So... These are some key points. You are not fighting an inner war, soul versus spirit. That's the first point. Second point, every part of your being is important to God and he is living inside you, helping restore it. I mean, just a simple example is we have a theology of healing here, healing in the body. You are important to God. Number three, don't get stuck in that Wrestlemania fight because we are no longer a slave to sin. The enemy wants us to keep believing that sin is part of our nature and if we believe that, we can get stuck. We are tasked with the help of the Holy Spirit to be led by the Spirit, to live above the sword and put off the deeds of the flesh. Remember that you are are not defined by your actions next slide you and a wise man once said you are not defined by your actions you are defined by who Christ says you are would you all stand with me would you stand please Holy Spirit, Jesus, Father, we thank you that you value our spirit, our soul, our bodies. We thank you that you are a loving Father. And that your cross and your resurrection has provided so much more than we have even experienced to this day. But Lord, we want to step in and experience more. We want to put off the deeds of the flesh and we want to live by the Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you now to come.